Hey everyone, thanks for checking out this uh, bonus episode of On In 5. This is usually something that would go on our Patreon and uh, be exclusive on there, but since we've been taking a little bit of time to get Tom Waits out um, because of our own personal stuff, which we'll talk about in the episode, um, all good stuff, all good stuff. The, we are putting this special little interview out that I did with two guys from Prairie Sun Studios, Muka Renick, who founded the studio back in 1978, and Jeff Sloan, who was the studio manager for quite a long time and helped Tom Waits when he recorded Bone Machine, Mule Variations, um, uh, in the night and the orphan collection as well as a couple other singles and stuff. So very closely connected with Tom Waits. Um, it was a pleasure talking to them and I am so excited that you get to hear this. It was all done kind of impromptu. And so it was just a lovely talking to him. Thank Thank you uh, to Muka and Jeff. If you guys are listening to this, really appreciate it and um, enjoy this wonderful interview. Yes. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to meet with me and chat with me. I'm so excited for this. Aww. Well, we're happy to, because we love to talk about ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we Shout know best, that. right? So let's, you are in Cedar Falls. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. The home of Buddy Holly's last concert. Close. We're, uh, we're about 90 minutes south of, of uh, okay. the last concert. Yeah. Yeah, because that took place at the surf ballroom in Clear Lake. Oh, and in Clear Lake. We yes. know in, we know Clear Lake. Yep. California. <laughs> very different. <laughs> yeah. Buddy Ollie did not make it that far. Okay. Well, very good. Well, listen, Anton, here we are. Go here ahead. we are. We're yes. here to help. What can well, we do? Uh, first, I just, again, want to say thank you guys for joining me. Um, this is Mark Muka, Muka Renick, and Jeff Sloan, who Mark runs the Prairie Sun Studios, Prairie Sun Recording Studio. And then Jeff Sloan was the, was it the head engineer there for a while? Is that correct? Um, well, are you talking in conjunction with Tom Waits or the studio? Just the studio in general. Um, I was the I was the studio manager, uh, air traffic controller for about I believe eight years. Okay. Say hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. <laughs> Glory. Yeah, I was an aspiring producer engineer, and Mook was looking for somebody to run his day to day. So we made a deal that if I ran his studio by day, he would teach me how to produce and engineer records by night. So I didn't sleep for about ten years straight. <laughs> you don't need it. You don't need it. But I learned a hell of a lot from the great MOOC. Sure. Well, it's, I mean, it sounds like that's a great place to learn. Uh, for everything I've read about it, I kind of did some research and it, it just sounds like a super cool little, little cozy place to record. Um, so MOOCA. It's unusual <laughs> in, in the best way. Yes, of course. I mean, that's what you want in a studio, though, clearly. I mean, uh, referring to Tom Waits and making his own space and and having your guys as, you know, it's I mean, having a place to stay right there on property and all that. It sounds like it's a it's a it's a sweet little getaway for everything. So uh, a lot of people liked about it because they could escape and have no distractions and people weren't hanging out. And, you know, yeah, it was, it was like a summer camp. Exactly. Yeah. You could, you could kind of stay in the headspace you were in and you didn't have to go exactly. back to an apartment or, or back into the big city or, or what right. have you. Um, so Muka, I want to start with you. What can you kind of give me the, the, the quick and dirty elevator pitch on how, how Prairie Sun got started? Okay. Um, well, first of all, the only elevators where I come from, are the ones that go into the corn silos. Ah, yes, the grain elevators. I'm familiar. The grain elevators, there you go. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes the dust would catch on fire and things would explode. Boom. So I come from the land of boom sometimes. Not a lot, because <laughs> it wasn't good. Um, so I come from Wyoming, Illinois, which is uh, about probably three hours from where you are right now, mm -hmm. um, north of Peoria. Stark County is the home of my county. and. Uh, I started in a, you know, a high school band, grade school, high school band. My mother's a piano teacher. I moved uh, from Illinois through six colleges or more, trying to get to some place where I could open a recording studio. So I ended up in Sonoma County. 
And I was first in a uh, student housing kind of slumlord kind of situation near the college. And I took over a, a bedroom, put a hole in the wall, put some glass in there and some drapes because I didn't tell my landlord about it. <laughs> and it had a pretty big low ceiling room. And I just started recording um, a lot of uh, artists in and around Sonoma County. Uh, Norton Buffalo was an early uh, su survivor of the Prairie, fu Prairie Fun, Prairie Stun, uh, the beginnings of the company. And Mark Isham came through there and uh, Jerry Martini from Sly and the Family Stone and um, all these jazz musicians and rock, rock mus musicians from Sonoma State. So Sonoma State University is literally a half a mile away, mile away. And they had a really good, still do have a great jazz department. And so I had my best friend that I met there, and he ended up marrying me. Uh, my second marriage, his name is Steve Paleo. And he's, uh, um, he, he basically just introduced me to everybody in the music scene. And uh, just a wonderful man. So then I end up out on this 10-acre, 11-acre, 12-acre, 9-acre, I don't know, I haven't done, seen the plat book, but some acres, but it's rural west of town. And I got there in 1980 and I met Jeff Sloan. What year was that? What was that? Uh, Want me to get that? Yeah, go ahead and get that, Jeff. Would you get that, please? Oh, 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 yeah, he's got, hello? Uh, hello, hey, Mook is in a meeting right now. Can I take a message? Yes, I think you can do that. That's fine, yes. We'll get back okay. to you in about three years. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so so Jeff, what what year did did Mr. Waits, and then I'm going to let Jeff pick it up, but that, to answer sure. your question, that is, um, Anton, is exactly how um, I got kind of short, Mooka for dummies kind of like, you know, <laughs> primer hair, you know, yeah. and I mean and, dummies. And go just ahead. to clarify, uh, before, before you go ahead and uh, Jeff, the, the current location of the recording studio is on a, is on a farm, a chicken farm from what I, from what I've seen. Correct. That's Jeff that he's asking you. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He knows. Yeah, it's, it's a, <laughs> you're, in, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in big trouble because the, the two of us cause a lot of trouble. It's a, it's no, a, right. it's a, I thought you were asking Mooka still. It's a 14-acre no. chicken ranch. It was one of the largest uh, egg-developing chicken ranches in Sonoma County back in the 30s. It was one of the top ones in that area. There's a lot of chickens and eggs mm -hmm. that, that, from that part of the state. And uh, – the property that the studio is on was one of the largest in that whole area. So then, so then what, what, what gave you, you the idea to, and whoever answers this is fine. What gave you the idea to say, I want to put a, a recording studio in this, in this chicken ranch. Well, I can pick that up. Um, yeah. There was already one room there that belonged to this gentleman. Uh, we'll just leave him nameless. Who is our landlord. <laughs> and uh, and he uh, and he had a, a brother there, and, and then I made an offer to come in and take it, and uh, I was in, and his brother was out, and I took over this one room. We call it. Then it was just the studio, and then eventually it became Studio B. Okay. But, uh, very small control room, and a, a decent size. Wouldn't you say, Jeff? Decent size tracking room. Yes. Yeah. We. Uh, we upgraded it with cedar and uh, it had a wood floor at first, parquet, and then we moved it back to uh, to uh, the stone floor that was originally, uh, you know, constructed with uh, cracks and all. Yeah, so that that's how we started in in that one room. Okay. And then it just expanded from there. So then once once you kind of had the one room down, then you realized you needed more space and just kept going yeah, from there. It, and then in 88, 87, 88, we went to Studio A, which was a chicken coop. Um, and uh, everything we've done at Prairie Sun has been really kind of guerrilla, guerrilla mm -hmm. acoustics, because uh, we don't own the property. 
And so we just fill it up with really good gear and talented people. So that was Studio A. Then I said, oh, what the hell? Why, why did you name that room A? Well, I said, because it's sequential. You're at the top of the property. This is going to be A. And then what was our main room before is now B. Then Studio C was commissioned in the, in the mid to early 80s as a tracking environment only. Mm-hmm. And then we eventually in the year 2000 put a control room in there and call it Studio C. Sure. And then, then there's an office building that has a mastering room and then there's guest houses on the property as well. And we eventually uh, assimilated that board and got into the housing business, kind of. Um, how was that, Jeff? Is that pretty good? Yeah, you left out all the chickens. Yeah, I know. <laughs> How many times did we wake up in the morning and we would go out there and these artists, Anton, would be out there with the friggin' chickens oh, playing I... mandolins and violins and, and talking to them. And some of them were trying to have sex with them. And, <laughs> and we did yeah. actually, we did have a, a band, Werewolf, that yeah. was uh, a satanic and they <laughs> he actually killed one and uh, sacrificed, sacrificed yeah. it. He sacrificed the chicken in the backyard and we had to ask him not to come back after that. that yeah. Was- yeah, I can, I can yeah. understand that. Yeah. After they drank the blood, we were like, yeah, you guys got to go now. No, <laughs> that's, yeah. one step, that's one step yeah. too far. Yeah. 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 yeah, like, uh, yeah. yeah. It's amazing how, uh, how magnetic chickens can be. If you see a chicken, most people walk right over to it, you know, try and if you're from the Midwest, one of the earliest things you learn how to do with a chicken is hypnotize it. And so, they're 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 magical creatures. Something fun to hang out with. I missed out on that one. Well, yeah, it was fried ours. <laughs> I mean, they're <laughs> also delicious. That's another good reason to keep them around. So, uh, <laughs> so talking about Studio C, then that seems like a perfect transition into what would become eventually the weights room, which sounds like an off off set room from Studio C. So why don't we go ahead then and start talking about? Tom Waits then and, and kind of his involvement with the studio or his his uh, his discovery of the studio and the studio's discovery of him. Yeah. And so now we're going to we're going to slide on over to Mr. Zig over here because he actually um, I think he did his first tour down in Studio C for Mr. Tom. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Mr. Jeff. Tell us all about it. Well, actually, the very, very first Tom Waits encounter at Prairie Sun Happened, if I'm not mistaken, it was in B. 80. Yeah. No, no, no. No, it was not. We're going oh, back. Oh, no, my first session with him. We are going back in time. So this is. Wow. It may or may or not, may or not be connected to the story, but this is how yeah. Tom found the studio. So we had an artist from um, Los Angeles, and the group was named Thelonious Monster. And okay. It, they're pretty big. They were kind of an '80s alternative kind of group. Well, him and he knew Tom from being in LA. Mm-hmm. He was up in Sonoma County for some reason, or maybe he wanted to meet Tom up there. Anyway, he brought his master tape to the studio, and then Tom came over to Prairie Sun and he did a vo- vocal overdub on the Thelonious Monster record. So that was about probably 1988 or 89, Mooka. Is that mm-hmm. about right? Yep. Cause I came to the studio, yeah. I came to the studio and um, uh, I guess I didn't come to the studio until about 87 or 88. So, but it was right around then. So all Tom did was come down, did, a, did his vo- voiceover and then left. Well, in the mm-hmm. meantime, he ended up moving out of Los Angeles and moving up to Sonoma County. I think they really wanted to raise their kids out of L.A. And he's a they're very private people. And yeah. he's a guy that he wants to be able to go. Back in those days, there were these things called video stores. And uh, he liked to go there and coffee shops. And he just couldn't do it in L.A. He was just right. constantly harangued by people. And just he couldn't go to even to the grocery store. He's mm-hmm. a He's just a common man. He's brilliant, but he's commoner. So that was his first experience with Prairie Sun. So then he came back um, and he was going to, oh man, I'm trying to, I was well, trying he, to remember if, 
the next thing that happened, I think he was going to do. Did he do night on earth? Did he? Yeah. Did so he that was the night very, on yes. earth? Yeah. That was the very next thing I was going to say was the very next project was night on earth. Mm-hmm. Now, some of that yeah. had already been recorded elsewhere. I don't know if you remember, Luca, was that done in Europe or something? Or I don't know. Um, yeah. Jim Jarmusch, Night yeah. on Earth, mm-hmm. Biff Dawes. Yeah. Yeah. Studio so B. The, yeah. So they brought the master tapes to Prairie Sun from, I think they maybe the other year started them in Europe or in LA or maybe both. And then Tom continued to overdub, bring in strings and all the things that he was adding to the overdubs. And then they mixed it. So that was the very first full blown project that we did at Prairie Sun with Tom. That was Tom's, his thing. So yeah. Night on Earth was it. You nailed it. So we have one question. Right. Anton has one point now. Okay. <laughs> then Jeff, take us to when he said nothing could ever be born down here. I, I, you know, it's, I'm looking True story. For True story. Well, then, as the story, as the story progresses, Tom, Tom was really looking for a full-time studio where he could just basically go in and record. So he had a space at his house. He had a pretty nice kind of a two car garage that he kind of converted to kind of a music room, but it wasn't really a studio. It was just, and it was a playroom for his kids mm-hmm. and him. And so he was really looking to, he came to the studio. Luke was actually out of town. Everyone was gone. I was the only one there. And he wanted to rent a bunch of microphones and our two inch Studer analog tape machine and a bunch of preamps and stuff and take them to his house and make the record at home. Well, then I think the more that he thought about it and talked it over with his wife and stuff, trying to have all of those people like in their home, like it just, it just, I think it just logistically wasn't, it was a good idea on paper, but I think yeah. good for an alternative. So he walked into studio B and yes, Muka came up with a quote. He said, yes, this room is used up. Nothing will ever be born here again. Yeah, nothing will ever be born. Nothing ever will be had. This room is used up. (laughs) And I mean, the room had been there for a while and maybe Tom sensed something about the room. I mean, he he was just talking about the recording space itself, not the console or the gear. He just met the feeling of the room. There was nothing left there for creativity for him. So then he's like, what else you got? Well, by then the Studio A room was primarily a mixing room had been converted into an amazing, just a mixed studio. And there was a small overdub booth in there for just voiceover and stuff, but there was no room to track any kind of a band or anything. So then that takes us down to what we called in those days were called the chamber or the hatchery. So when the chicken ranch was active, that was where they had all the incubators and all the hatchery equipment was all set up. And it was this big, big, really large square foot concrete room was all concrete. And, um, uh, the floor is all concrete. The walls about halfway up were cinder block. And then the rest was sheetrock. And then the ceiling was redwood because it was all old chicken coops. Everything was in redwood, beautiful old redwood. Right. And that room was really way too big for any kind of a, and it wasn't even a studio. It was just a bare room. I think Muka, we were using it for heavy metal drums or as a reef. Well, chamber, yes, right? indeed. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so we there's another room. There's three rooms, Anton. There's the weights room as you come in the door on the right. Shorter room, high ceilings, about the same ceiling heights as the others. Cement floor and redwood lath, which was very uh, almost like a drum head. I've actually been beating the walls lately um, with my fist to hear the, the resonance. But it was a, the most important thing about the weights room was that it has a short decay time. Mm-hmm. And it's actually been sampled by a very famous digital reverb company called Brecasty. And they're out of Boston. And so Brecasty took these samples, but there's another room over down into the right, which is quite large. And we call that the Prairie Room. And in the early 80s, all the way up to this period of time, we from Studio B were connected directly down with headphones and microphones, microphone uh, snakes to this tracking room. And we worked with all these heavy metal drummers. I mean, you know, we worked with Kiss's drummer, not Peter Chris, but all these other session cats and all these different people. Dean mm-hmm. Castronovo. 
Yeah, Dean Castronova. Oh, boy. Dean Boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't heard that name in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> all these cats, right? But then that, that fateful day when Tom wasn't really negative about Studio B, but he had been tracking all these sound effects, and he, it's, he had this interesting, he had a super scope cassette player that I guess he had been given to by Keith Richards, who used the same style, a flat cassette player with, you know, the buttons on the top that Keith Richards did, uh, Street Fighting Man and all these open tune acoustic guitar parts. And so Tom was tracking in his home, as Jeff had described it, in this big open, you, you got to see it, right, Jeff? I've never been out there to see the the garage. Well, I helped him eventually set up a recording space in that area. But yeah, it's it's not real big, but it's uh but it's open cement, right? Yeah, there's not yeah, it's not totally untreated. No, yeah. Untreated. Yeah, it's it's a great untreated. line for it. So to untreated. just continue the story, so he's looking for something that he's got a vision. And I think it's beginning a lo-fi. I'm not not just in Katati and not eventually with Chad Blake and Tom. But the beginning of this, Tom, you know, um, he just had a vision. And so Jeff just happened to be there and says, here, let me show you this room. And then what happened? Well, he Jeff, said, what, what else? Have you, yeah, he said, what else have you got? And I was like, well, we don't have much. So I took a drum chamber. And then he's like, well, what's in that room? And it was locked up. And so I went and got the landlord. He had a, he had a padlock. And his, he had his grandparents' furniture stored in there. So Tom was like, well, what's this room sound like? And I was like, well, it's never been used before. So he said, let's take all the furniture out. So he opened the doors up and drug all the furniture out of this room. And he started clapping and singing and stomping around. And you're like, this, this, is, this, this is the place we're going to make the record. I was like, wow, okay. Because it wasn't, I mean, we weren't prepared for it from a technical standpoint of view at all. Yeah. So he, Tom kind of really found that room on his own. We, we just kind of let him. Yeah. Do it, and that's why we call out. it the weights room. Well, I ended up calling, originally I called it the waiting room. Yeah, I remember. And everyone was like the waiting room. What do you mean the waiting room? Like, like a doctor for the doctor. Hey, you guys, like, you guys talk real quick. This is a press Democrat talking to me about Bob Dylan. We just did a remix for Bob Dylan. I got to take this from what? Dan oh, Taylor, yeah. your old buddy. Talk about oh. karma. Keep oh, talking away. I'll be right back. All right. So they, they, they uh, really, so essentially, and Mook is right about the whole lo-fi thing. Tom, Tom doesn't give a damn about the sound quality a lot of times. It's more about the vibe. Yeah. If you've captured the essence and the vibe, then you, you, then that's it. it. It's like Dylan, like a lot of people hate his voice, but you can't deny the emotion and the lyrics and the content, even if you don't right. like the sounds. And it's with Tom, he could give a rat's ass about what microphone or, you know, is it, you know, I mean, so I, I really kind of agree with that lo-fi thing. Yeah. So I was really the one that took him into that room, but he really found it. And he decided right then and there that that was going to be the space. I, I, I still don't know why they call it the weights room. It, the waiting room is way cl- more clever, I, I would think. But Oh, 100% agree. I like that. Yeah, so I don't know. Somehow over the years it got twisted or diluted, but I was the one that came up with the waiting room. And uh, I didn't necessarily say that to Tom, and he probably would have laughed at it anyway because he he's, he's a, he's has an amazing sense of humor. So he would have yeah. got it. But uh, so – then what Muka, like Muka said, then we end up wiring that space. So I worked with the, the our uh, our uh, technician, and we pulled snakes through the attics from the control room of Studio B, so we could track. And then we had to have and and there was no cameras or anything, so you couldn't see down there. And Tom didn't really want cameras. He didn't want to. He didn't care. It, we would just say, "Is everybody set? Are we ready to roll?" And I was the asset, I was the assistant engineer for all of his projects. So I was like the production coordinator and I was the assistant engineer. So mm-hmm. say, okay, tomorrow or whatever it is next week, I want to work on these songs, call Primus and see if, when they're available. Um, mm-hmm. John Hammond Jr. He, you know, I know he's on tour, but when he gets back, um, call Charlie Musselwhite, whoever, whatever, all these different cats that were working on his records, he say, so I would call them up, talk to their managers, talk to them, get their schedules lined up. Then I would have, 
So I'd have to keep, uh, keep track of all of that. And then we used, ended up using, sometimes we'd use the little bit of the bigger chamber. Most, all that whole, from mule variation, what we did, we did the strings for uh, Night on Earth. And then there was another project, uh, this guy named Gavin Breyer came there and did a thing called Jesus Blood. Yep. And Tom did that. And so we did that in that room. And then we did, uh, and then we started... Um, the Black Rider was the next one. Mm-hmm. And that one was very acoustic. Now, that one had been recorded all, all in Europe. It was a very European record. And I think it had European musicians on it. I think he tracked almost all of it in Europe. But when he yeah. brought it back and started listening to it, it, it wasn't completely fleshed out. It wasn't exactly how he wanted it. So what we did was we took the 16-track analog half-inch recording and I happen to have a half inch analog stick 16 track machine in my personal studio. So we took all of that and we transferred it to the two inch analog tape at the studio. And then they started revamping it a little bit and they got rid of some of the original tracks, kept a lot of the original stuff and then just started, you know, adding string sections or overdubbing vocals or whatever stuff that it needed. And then he mixed that one there. And then, uh, and then it went to, because there's some, there's also some film like singles for film, right? We used in between some of these, yeah. Um, and there was some really amazing soundtrack stuff that he did. But then the next record after that was Bow Machine. Well, he so he did Black Rider before Bone Machine. Yes, at least at Prairie Sun. Okay, pretty sure. Then they may have been released at different times. I, I'm oh. I, I'm almost positive Black Rider was recorded before Bone Machine. It may have been released after Bone Machine, though. It was released after, yeah, because I think that he did, because I know I think he delayed uh, Black Rider uh, probably oh. to, because um, I think he was going to release it in the spring of 1993, and then he delayed it to the fall of, late fall of 1993, ah. probably to put some space between the two releases of the bone. Yeah. Bone he machine was good about that. Record. And it may yeah. have been, um, cause I think he was still on Island records at that time. Yep. That's correct. It could have been an Island record call too, because sure. they were actually a really awesome company to work with. And they were very attentive and very interested in all of their artists and they mm-hmm. took really good care of them. So they're really easy to deal with. And, um, sometimes the bigger, the labels the harder to just get paid, but they were right. really on their game. And, and they were very involved. So I think they weren't involved in the production or anything, but they were just involved in his day to day or whatever he needed. So mm-hmm. we, we spent a lot of time doing it, but it could have been their yeah. call to saying. Yeah. Um, and I think the Island records was definitely not the Island records. It is today back then. I think it was a lot smaller no. than before it started, oh, getting, no. you know, getting into the conglomerate. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's the same, with like Mo- same with like Motown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> same, you know, yep. same label, but yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah so um i don't know if we got sidetracked or not if, no you know. no there's no sidetracks here it's, okay. it's wherever the conversation goes is where it's meant to go so no big deal i was trying to trying to do it in chronological order because it's easiest for me to remember it chronologically sure. as i was working on it so uh, once after you put out bone variation or uh, bone machine rather bone machine. Uh, yep and then uh after you put out that he went on kind of a hiatus for a while um, and then the black rider came out actually right at the beginning of his actual hiatus. And gotcha. so then he didn't put out anything until not, or he put out very little and his first full length came out, uh, in 1999, which was uh, mule variations, which I, was also done. Yeah. So we did. And so during that, hi, what I call the hyenas rather than the hiatus, <laughs> we did at least three film score things. One was for um, um, Dead Man Walking, yep, which was amazing. We did two songs of that. We did a Jack Kerouac record. Uh, we did a song of oh, it's called On the Road. Mm-hmm. We uh, uh, an animation thing that I think it won whatever. It's not an Emmy for animation, but it's uh, whatever you win. But it sure. won an Emmy award. Uh, it was a uh, an animation called Bunny, which was okay. a film about a rabbit which was really cool. And then we did yeah. another one for, 
uh, it was a it was a song called All Stripped Down. And uh, I can't remember what film that was from. But we squeezed a whole bunch of film singles into that slot between whatever the, the uh, end of Bow Machine, Black Rider, before mm-hmm. we started Mule Variations. There was a whole bunch of film singles that we did in between there. Very interesting. And he did he didn't stop yeah. working. He may have took a couple of weeks off or something here and there, but I yeah. mean, they, they had stuff lined up all along the road there. So he was always dipping in and out. And sometimes there were only a day or two projects, but sure. working pretty much nonstop with them during that whole period. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Cause it kind of, everything that I had read up to this point kind of sounded like he was very, not to say that you can't have both, especially if they were day two, day or two projects, but it was very much, he wanted to be at home, be out of the limelight yeah, um, and hang out. He was with also getting a lot of scripts. They get scripts constantly for him. Oh and, yeah. And that's how they met was because his wife, Kathleen worked for Francis Ford Coppola. So right. they were, they're constantly getting scripts for him for film. So mm-hmm. there were a lot of times he was, sometimes he'd slip off and, you know, go shoot some stuff, go shoot some movie stuff. And then he comes home. Ah, so I'm then, back. Hi. Welcome back. back. Thank you. <laughs> so then after, so then he came back and did mule variations and then he did Alice in blood money there as well. Right. Alice in blood money was done at a different studio. That's Oh, that's right. That was done at a uh, 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 pocket. In, your, in, the, in, in, the in the pocket yeah in the pocket there we go sure. he did uh though i was thinking of um the the three orphans he did orphans most of his work for orphans there right that's an interesting question that right jeff orphans, orphans bastards is, and brawlers yeah ba- orphans. brawlers ballers and bastards yeah so the cool thing about that one was well, what i started to do is i would i was i was always making tom mixtapes all the time and i was there were usually mixtapes of currently what we were working on and he had a cassette player in his car and maybe a dap machine at home. So at the end of the day, I would give him some stuff to take home and listen. And then he would figure out what it needed and what it didn't and how the mixes, how the rough mixes were going. And so in the meantime, I was stumbling upon all of these really amazing. Well, for, for like one example, when, when we did mule variations, Tom ended up with well over two full albums worth of songs well, when he went to, that's when he changed to Epitaph, the label Epitaph Records. Yep. And Epitaph, that was the first, he had just signed with them, and that was the first time that they worked with him. So they were reluctant to release a double album because it was the first time they were worked with him. And sure. Tom was Tom was not real happy about it because he was ready to do a double album release at that time. Mm-hmm. So all of these songs that he had tracked that were kind of, they weren't completely done, but they were started, they were there were sketches and skeletons and some of them had overdubs and some of them were just a basic track. Well, I started sending him rough mixes of these skeletons and he, I think he'd really forgotten. And then I just went back to bone machine, did the same thing and pulled out some of the outtakes of songs that had never gotten finished. Well, then he started realizing he had this huge backlog of all of these songs that he had started that never had seen the light of day along with the film stuff. Cause sometimes those records, uh, those, those soundtrack things, you only hear the music, and if you see the movie, they're not right. always, don't always appear on the record for the soundtrack. Or sometimes the soundtracks don't even get released from a movie. So yep. he had these these songs that he had done for film that no one had really ever heard before unless they saw the movie. So then that was where that whole thing came up. So then he had me go really dig, dig deep into the archives, and I started pulling up all the crazy old stuff that had not seen the light of day. It had cobwebs on it, and yeah, so he had a bunch of really amazing things. So some of that had gone back to when he lived in L.A. Some of that was stuff. A bunch of it was from Prairie Sun. Um, and a bunch of that stuff from Prairie Sun made it onto that, to that, that, uh, that, the, 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 the triplets. Yeah. The, the orphans or whatever. Yeah. And then some of it he finished later on. Um, he may have overdubbed it. You know, I don't know. Cause I think by the time that record got done, uh, I wasn't working with him anymore. So I didn't see that. I didn't see the end of that light of that one. I was at the beginning of that one. And then he, 
it took him a long time to finish it because there was so much damn material. So I'm not exactly sure. He may have finished it at his, his personal studio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. we probably, we probably did somewhere to 40% to 60% of the tracks came out of Prairie Sun. Um, right. There was some debate with them whether we had <laughs> done some or others had done some, but uh, to, to answer that situation, so Tom would record a lot of songs for every album. Mm-hmm. And then he'd only pick out so many. So he had, he had things that were in the archive that didn't make it to the record. And I think that was really the beauty of what that was about because the same session players and the energy and the vibe that he was putting into the songs that were picked for mule variations or for bone machine were actually in the archives. So yeah. there's a certain, there's a certain sonic. So go ahead. Any other questions uh, we can ask you and you can ask us. Yeah. So, um, so then I guess it's, it's pretty safe to say that, that Tom Waits has um, had a pretty big impact on Prairie Sun uh, over his time there and, and uh, beyond that. So I want to, on your website, you say that, uh, that you've had names like uh, Nine Inch Nails, Journey, Huey Lewis, um, the Doobie Brothers, Wu-Tang Clan, um, Justin Bieber, uh, AFI, the list goes on and on and on. I want to know um, first, would you say that Tom Waits put you guys on the map to have these, um, these opportunities come up Um, basically who came before Tom Waits and who came after. And then I just kind of want to know about uh, just your association with all these different artists that have, have come through Prairie Sun in some capacity. I see. Well, Prairie Sun came in, you know, when we first started out before I met Jeff, we were doing a lot of metal and all kinds of metal. And we hooked mm-hmm. up with this label that did prog rock. I guess you would call it prog rock, shredder, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, speed metal, mm-hmm. um, a whole community. Um, at that time, you had these wonderful studios, record plant, fantasy, Russian Hill, music annex, um, the automat was running. These are, and all the, the names that eventually worked at Prairie Sun, we're recording there. Huey, Journey, Carlos, Metallica. all these cats, right? Yeah. But we had a niche. So the niche is just moving along. And, and, and Mike Varney's labels are called Shrapnel, uh, uh, the label group, Shrapnel Records, uh, uh, dun, dun, boom, 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 boom. Blues Bureau, um, the, uh, the prog rock label with Peter Morticelli. You're Peter. Oh, uh, is is that the uh, the elf not elephant, but um, yeah, yeah. He and Mike owned that label together. It had Royal in it or some weird name. But anyway, so we we were doing a lot of this, and then and Pat Travers and Rick Derringer and mm-hmm. just all these incredible artists. Um, the highest quality. And so, and so Tom moves to Sonoma County, more or less. He comes up for Thelonious Monster and we go through what we call the Waits phase. While Mr. Waits is there, we're still working away with all kinds of Barney and famous people. And then Carlos Santana. Mm-hmm. And then all these cats and then people like Eric Gales right now, who I think is probably the most notable current trendy uh, blues guitarist in the world right now. We did, I think we did five or six albums with Eric, uh, with Mike Varney. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, so now, so we go metal and stuff and then the, the weights, what we call the weight, weight years. And then after that, because of Tom and because we're still just a pretty cool place to make records, we started working with the mountain goats and we started working with, um, Matt Nathanson, um, uh, members of, uh, of all kinds of different indie bands. You know, a lot of bands from Portland were coming down. 
Sure. Um, Big reggae stuff too, right? Oh yeah. 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 I think so. Yeah, definitely. Mighty diamonds came through. Um, so you, if you can imagine, you know, so Tom Waits had a, a tremendous influence. Uh, I think I told you when I was in the table, you called the first time that, you know, a lot of bands would come in there and they shouldn't have just used the Waits room like hardcore punk bands. And because Tom Waits, is, that was the shrine. Mm-hmm. And those records are so important to them. They had to record a band of five or six pieces in this small room. <laughs> it's pretty noisy. I would say it's pretty fair to say. Yeah. Pretty darn no, noisy. You'll get a um, little noise in there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, like, um, you know, uh, and a million session players, which Jeff and I enjoyed the most part of it. It's all the musicians we got to work with. Uh, Dan, not Dan Taylor, Larry Taylor from, uh, what was, what was the Candy. Uh, Larry the mole, God rest his soul. God rest his soul. And yeah. and he and he was there on everything Tom recorded. Yeah. On bass. Pretty much. Tom always believed in acoustic bass, pretty much, because of the bottom he would get. Yeah. Um, I think yeah, Mark was one of the one of the originals from from long long term companion yeah. with, with him. Yeah. So does that kind of give you a little bit of focus? So yeah, so yeah. journey, journey, um, Jonathan Kane and and Kevin Ellison, Damn uh, they Yankees. lived in so they lived in the Bay Damn Area. Yep. We worked with them. Um, the Lewis, Ted Nugent, go ahead. Nuge, Ted Nugent, Nuge. the Damn Yankees. Oh no, the Nugent stories are fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> um, they really are actually. Jack Blades from Night Ranger, um, mm-hmm. an amazing cat. And uh, he had a band called the Damn Yankees with Tommy Shaw Sticks. Of Sticks, love Sticks. Yeah, yeah, the Sticks is a good band. Glad you're into that. Prairie Prairie Prince from the Tubes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Highlight. Yeah, so uh, that's been our odyssey, you know. Is that like, and we just had Bruce Coburn come in, who was to me like the only one I didn't get was John Prine, and that if you really want to you really want to put three guys in the room together. Neil Young did some tape transfers, but it, that he didn't record with this, but I would have loved Neil, but we mm-hmm. had Bruce Coburn, we had Tom and I would have loved to have John Prine who just left us. He mm-hmm. died of COVID. Yep. A real, a real songwriter, like a cat. In fact, Tom and John were in Boston getting an award about three or four years ago. And, uh, and as I understand, all they talked about was Prairie Sun. And that because, <laughs> because John Prime, his little brother, his name is Billy, who's still an aspiring artist out in Nashville. And he's the last musician. Well, he's not the last musician because they got another brother, Dave, who's also a musician. They're all from Kentucky originally. And, and John's father died, was in Maywood, Illinois. And, um, so... Yeah, so, but Bruce Coburn, I got to say, um, not his last record, but the one before last. Uh, yeah, very proud to have those kind of seminal. Huey Lewis was amazing. He was yeah. a lot of fun. Really good group of guys. Just, and then, I mean. Uh, Van Morrison? Van Morrison, just a little bit. He just came in to read the paper and <laughs> sing a verse. But he kind of put us on the map. You know, it, it, yeah. I don't want to get into how that happened, but I'm glad he came by. And, and then Junior Walker. He just Walker, wanted to see the chickens. He wanted to see a chick. Junior <laughs> yeah, Walker and the All-Stars. Junior Walker's on tour. He comes through, you know. Um, <clears throat> it's just on and on. Yeah. Yeah. So Man, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it, it, from what it sounds like, it sounds like Tom helped you, but at, at the same time, he just kind of showed the world, look at this you know, kind of look at what this place can do and look at how unique you can be here and you can really kind of get away from it all and, and make whatever yeah. you want to make. Yeah, I think so. I think we're very blessed, but we're Jeff and I, and, and every manager that's been here, all of us, we're all musicians ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm an artist. Um, you ever want to do a podcast on the abolitionists? There's two of oh, us. Of course. We're both members right here. We're, we are abolitionists. Uh, that's well. it. Yeah. Perfect. Equality is a good thing. It's still important. It was in 1830 and it's really important in 20 and 21. I guarantee. Yes. Uh, you said it. Yeah. 
Are you having fun? Yeah, absolutely. No, this is incredible. And I mean, it, you, you mentioned it right when you had to go take a phone call, but it, I mean, you guys are still rocking and rolling. You mentioned that you just did the Bob Dylan Jokerman, the 12 inch that just came out. You guys, yeah, did it was that, just so. released yesterday. Yeah. yeah. And uh, th- so that's a great little story. Uh, so Dr. Dredd, who's a very famous reggae entrepreneur and um, just crazy man from originally to Baltimore corridor, um, did a project with who Jeff knows well, Jimmy the Fox Lion, who is this very famous reggae engineer producer. They worked together out there in the Beltway. And, and so Jimmy could not, uh, that Dr. Dredd, his name is Gary Hemelfarb, could not get to Jimmy because of the pandemic. And so Jimmy said, well, why don't you, uh, why don't you get Mooka to do it for you? Yeah, yeah, Mooka's all good. He's okay. Yeah, I, I like his sounds. He's good. Because they couldn't work together here. So Dr. Dredd calls me up and he goes, I go, well, I'm honored to do a Bob Dylan thing. Obviously, it's a remix mm-hmm. of the original tracks from the Power Station with Mick Taylor and Mark Knopfler, and Sly and Robbie. And I mean, Damn. and they and they lost the uh, they lost the overdub 16 track master. So we actually got to work with the scratch vocal with the scratch harmonica, right? So, so Dr. Dredd says, well, hey, Luca, uh, I had met him once when uh, Groundation was at the studio a couple of years before he came down. And mm-hmm. He's got this beautiful curio shop and a record store in his, in his place in Calistoga called Rags to Riches. And I said, well, we have other people that are much more qualified to uh, to do reggae dub mixing for guys sakes i mean i i've done reggae and yeah i i, I got an idea of what it's supposed to sound like and uh and he says don't you worry he says when i get done with you you will know how to re- you will know how to do dub mixing and i said okay and <laughs> i swear to god we got into Studio A. We cranked the monitors up really loud. We hooked up the echoes and all these drum effects and, and just had so much fun for two days. And we did a dub mix and we did a real, a real mix of the original. It's called Infidels. The song is Joker Man, but it was from the album Infidels. Sure. So that, I hope that gives you some information about, about how these things in the recording studio, you just never know. What's going to happen? You just, somebody's going to call you up and go, Hey, you know, uh, you know, tiny Tim wants to do it, uh, a, a mandolin or a ukulele overdub or, you know, mm-hmm. I, I heard he was it, doing hip hop now. Oh no. Yes. Okay. Sure. That's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's, it's a fascinating world and it's a world that I am not i'm a musician myself i play drums not very well but i do um i was in a band for a couple years and yeah we did i think i had two or three studio um uh, experiences and it was always a fascinating one so it's super interesting to hear it from the other side and hear just how all this stuff works and how fascinating and unique and and uh, uh fly by the seat of the pants your pants world this can be and yeah yeah it's, it's amazing well I, I, he's gotta he's gotta get back and run the world in tulsa and, I, and i'm 69 and i gotta go take a nap so yeah i won't keep you guys any longer uh but <laughs> do then, we cover no, this, everything yeah we, we got we no this is what, yeah. what you wanted to know my first question when i when i originally called muka i just uh, my question was uh would you say that more artists came to Prairie Sun after Tom Waits than before? And he said, well, I don't have the information on me right now. Why don't we set something up for tomorrow? And, and, and here we are. And, and this has been more than I could have ever asked for. So this is incredible. And I, I again, I genuinely appreciate you guys sitting well, down, taking the time to talk to me. And again, I appreciate <laughs> it. And, and again, if, if we ever want to do, uh, if, if we ever want to do the abolitionists, I will reach out to you guys and, and I'd oh love to my chat, God, talk about yeah. your guys' own work. Well, actually, um, we have a, uh, stand by. I'm going to, my publicist, I normally don't have a publicist, but he just <laughs> actually 
just the, on the whole um, on the whole Joker man thing, this mm-hmm. thing he's been giving the press here. So what I'm going to do is I'm gonna hit the copy button, copy. And so in this, in this, this thing I'm going to send you, Anton, is uh, it, Sloan's already heard it too many times. He, he actually, he actually made it with me. <laughs> He's heard it a bunch of times. So let me, <laughs> let me get this out to you. Um, and in this fun little press release on Joker Man, uh, stand by, stand by. You will see the link to. Um, the, the abolitionists on Bandcamp, and on that you'll be able to hear kind of what we're doing. You need to be prepared. You'll, you need to be prepared. <laughs> you will never be the same. I love it. I hope not. In a good way. In a good way. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. So, and hit me back if this doesn't work. But I think you're going to see the press release, and in the press release is a little bio about me and. The abolitionists. Listen to it and enjoy, but only do it on a on a really lonely night when you're driving <laughs> down to Des Moines trying to score some acid. Yeah, in the middle of the night. Yeah, in the middle of the night. Yep. Yeah, that, well, that's, yeah that's the only time I try to go get yeah, my ass. exactly. <laughs> Turn it up and roll on down the road and listen Love it. to it all in one piece of music. Okay, you got it. I'll, I will. I'll find myself in that situation sooner than I think either of us are planning. On, so. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Such a pleasure. Oh, thank you guys so much. This has been a blast. And I'll, I'll I, I hope that we speak soon. And if I ever find myself in 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 California, I'll give you a call. Yeah, you got to get that tour, me. man. Yeah, tour I look in. forward to it. I want to see all of this in person. So I hope okay. to find myself out that way soon. Be safe love out you. there and love have you, fun. Jeffrey, and really nice right. to meet you, Anton. You too. I'll talk to uh, you when soon. I'm in, when I'm in Peoria again, I'll come visit you. Perfect. We've got a we've got a guest bed, and we've got plenty to see here in lovely Cedar Falls. So come on over. Oh hell yes! All right. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Thank you guys. Bye guys. See you later. Bye. So there it is. There's my interview with Muka Rennick and Jeff Sloan from Prairie Sun Studios. Thank you so much to both of them for taking the time to speak with me. This was all based off a one-off question that I had, and they sat down with me for an hour and chit-chatted. They're lovely guys, so I cannot thank them enough. Um, that's, that's it for this episode. Um, stay tuned for Tom Waits as we finish up that series, and we will... Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening.